the old preaching professor that we, one of our old preaching professors said that once you find an illustration and park it in a sermon, don't back it up and park it in another sermon. I would not make an A on this sermon because I've told this story before, so I'm parking it again. But when I read this text, I'm always transported back to the Ohio River as it runs through the heart of Louisville, Kentucky. It was the 4th of July about 25 years ago, and my two preteen nieces had come to visit for a week at Camp Russ and Amy. We decided to watch the 4th of July fireworks from our tiny little boat, a 1965 Correct Craft Mustang, tiny. But wouldn't it be pretty to watch the fireworks from the river? We picked up a pizza and set sail down the river until we got to the heart of downtown. We dropped anchor and waited for the dark. We'd made note that we were not the only ones with this grand idea. As a matter of fact, a lot of other boaters had this same idea. Big boaters, like yacht boaters. But oh, did we have fun. And the fireworks were indeed spectacular. And then the show was over and the pizza was long gone and it was time to head back up the river to take the boat out. In hindsight, we should have just stayed put until all the big boats were way out of the way. But no, in the moment, we just rode our way through the rough waters, and I mean rough waters, like ocean rough. Like, there was a moment when I was honestly afraid we were going to capsize. I climbed into the back seat with Jennifer and Cassie, and Russ threw us the life jackets. I was really scared, but trying to be a non-anxious presence, presence and act like this was merely a little fun adventure, I suggested that we sing a song. The girls readily agreed, and I calm, calmly and cheerfully said, what would you like to sing? And before I knew it, we were all three belting out Jesus Loves Me with great gusto. And we sang Jesus songs all the way until we reached the shore safely. And every time I read this story about Paul and Silas singing their fears away in the midst of an imprisoned earthquake, I remember that 4th of July night in the heart of downtown Louisville when I thought I might die. Singing songs of praise did help to lift our fears like it must have for Paul and Silas. They were shackled and imprisoned behind bars. We were bound by life jackets and imprisoned in a boat on rough waters and we sang our way to freedom. Lots of folks do that. Imprisoned by racism and injustice, we shall overcome, became a key anthem of the civil rights movement. And then, Lift Every Voice and Sing was publicly performed first as a poem as part of the celebration of Abraham Lincoln's birthday on February the 12th, 1900, by 500 school ch children at a segregated school. The principal of that school 
wrote the words to introduce its honored guest, Booker T. Washington. And then five years later, the principal's brother put the poem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, to music. And in 1919, the NAACP dubbed it the Negro National Anthem for its power in voicing the cry for liberation and affirmation for African-American people. When we are afraid, when we despair, when we think there is no way out, one thing to do is to sing. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe that we shall overcome someday even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket sing apparently singing has a way of opening prison doors that's one lesson we learn from this text this text for today is full though full of characters that need better character development. We meet them in this order. The slave girl, Paul, Silas, the slave owners, the authorities, the magistrate, the crowd, the jailer, the other prisoners, and finally we meet the entire family of the jailer. So many people in this scene and only two of them have names. You know that is such a pet peeve of mine with the biblical writers. We remember Paul and Silas as the ones in prison, but the truth is everyone in this story is imprisoned. The slave girl owned by another human being. The slave owners, they don't know it, but they are imprisoned by their own greed and hatred. The authorities are imprisoned by the politics of their day. The jailer, he is held captive outside the bars of the cell by a job that guarded even innocent prisoners. And then there are the other prisoners, perhaps rightly or maybe wrongly, imprisoned for their mistakes. And then there's the jailer's family, held captive, held captive to a life that didn't experience as much love and grace as, in, as is intended for all of God's children. But it's always Paul and Silas that get our attention. It's not surprising that that's the case. Wrongly held captive, singing songs of praise, and then an earthquake shakes the very foundation of the earth, and they are set free. But knowing the heart of the jailer, 
and knowing the danger that he was in, they remained in their cell to save his life. The prison doors were open, but escaping would just put them on the run and would get the jailer killed. Plus, the jailer and his family needed them more than they needed to be free. Or perhaps Paul and Silas simply understood that their own ultimate freedom would only come in giving themselves away for the sake of another. And that's another lesson we learn from this story. We are only set free when we have the power and follow-through to liberate others. So it's a great story with lots of characters, good action, a complicated plot that involves politics and natural disaster and human agony and triumph. But the story really only speaks to us at the point where we can admit our own imprisonments. What is it that keeps you behind bars? To what are you shackled unable to move, living in fear and isolation? What has you bound and keeps you from living a life that is free? Is it your work or your worry? Is it your grief or your greed? Is it your addiction or your apathy? Is it your illness or your ignorance. You see, this text also lends itself for me to preach about the severe injustices of our legal system that makes our prison system so out of control. Our prison system is one that is bent on retribution and has no eyes toward restoration. And as much as there could be a whole sermon about that, I'm not going there today because what I heard in the text this week made me wonder about you and some of your own imprisonments and me and my own imprisonments. Some of you are stuck in jobs that you hate. Some of you are imprisoned by depression. Some are imprisoned by climbing ladders that never lead to the happiness that you so desperately seek. Some are shackled by eating disorders, substance abuse. Some are imprisoned by not having enough. And some are in jail for having too much. Some are imprisoned by being hurt in ways that tempt them to not want to love again. And some are shackled by isolation. Some are bound by being bullied. Some by being undereducated. Some folks are in prison because they live on the wrong side of the tracks. And there are so many people imprisoned because they live way above their means trapped in vicious cycles of despair. 
These are the things that keep us shackled, tied up, bound in ways that keep us from fully living. How do you open your own prison doors? Perhaps you're waiting for an earthquake to do it for you. But Frederick Beekner suggests that there are two words that offer a way to freedom. Help me. He says, help me opens a door through the walls, that's all. At least hope is possible again. At least you're no longer alone. Help me may just be the key to open your prison doors. You do not have to remain behind the bars of oppression or injustice or despair or grief or isolation. If there's one thing that I believe about God, I believe that God desires for us to be free to live life to the fullest, but too many people live with tightness in their chest and burdens so heavy that they feel like they cannot breathe, suffocated with the messes of our own making, or paralyzed by life's often unfair obstacles, too many people live imprisoned lives with no song to sing and no hope for a way out. We'll go hand in hand. We'll go hand in hand. We'll go hand in hand someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe that we'll go hand in hand someday. I don't do Mother's Day. Oh, the boys took me to dinner last night. There were a few gifts. I loved it all. I've even had an awesome Instagram post this morning. We will journey today to see my mother and mother-in-law for the obligatory family game of softball and lots of food. Don't worry, my 90-year-old mother doesn't play. She just watches. We go with potted calla lilies that are gorgeous. But I don't do Mother's Day in worship. It's just too painful for too many And I know so many churches that are completely insensitive to this, so much so that there are many women that don't go to church on this Sunday every year for fear that what they hear in church may send them over an edge. But do you know the origin of Mother's Day? It's not Hallmark. Mother's Day was created as a peace movement. Too few Americans are aware that early advocates of Mother's Day in the United States originally envisioned it as a day of peace to honor and support mothers who lost sons and husbands in the carnage of the Civil War. In 1870, nearly 40 years before it became an official U.S. holiday, 
Social justice advocate Julia Ward Howe issued her inspired Mother's Day proclamation, which called upon mothers of all nationalities to band together to promote the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. She envisioned a day of solemn counsel where women from all over the world could meet to discuss the means whereby to achieve world peace. I would have loved Julia Ward Howe. She was a prominent American abolitionist, feminist, poet, and the author of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. She nursed and tended the wounded during the Civil War, and she worked with the widows and orphans of the soldiers on both sides of the war, realizing that the effects of war go far beyond the killing of soldiers in battle. The devastation she witnessed during the Civil War inspired her to call out for women to rise up through the ashes and devastation, urging a Mother's Day dedicated to peace. It is fitting to read this text about imprisonment on this Mother's Day, a day that should be a peace movement day, where all of us use our voices and our very lives to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to release the prisoners the Pauls and the Silases are still in jail all over the world and right here in this very room. They're still singing their freedom songs. The jailer is still in great need of finding reason to rejoice. So many people are seeking peace, which is so much more than the absence of war. Paul, Silas, the slave girl, the jailer and his family, even the slave owners and magistrates, the crowds and the other prisoners were all really wanting shalom, which is peace and harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. It's what we all desire, and it's the only thing, peace, that will open prison doors. So may your movement be mighty today, women and men of God, that peace may open the doors of our own hearts and the prison cells of so many others. May it be so. Amen.